Uh, we've spent a lot of time in the last, actually uh, almost a month now in this chapter on faith. And, and uh, there's a reason for that because I believe faith for the Christian is his greatest or hers greatest treasure. I had someone tell me years ago when I first got saved about how your greatest treasure is your faith. And back then, I, you know, my greatest treasure might have been my car, or my wife, or my family, or something like that. But, but I, I didn't really see it as being my faith. But, but I tell you what, man, you get your life, uh, your tree shook a little bit, and, and uh, you, you, you will find real quickly that the greatest thing that you possess is your faith. And, and uh, I mean, it means everything for the Christian. We don't, we, don't just, we don't just get born again by faith. We don't just die by faith. What's the Bible tell us? The just shall live by faith. And so uh, uh, faith is our greatest treasure. And that's why this chapter has been so important. And that's why we spent so much time on it. Uh, and as we're going to learn today, and, and as we, we look at faith, we're going to look at faith uh, in its relationship to risk. Because if you're going to live a life of faith, if you're truly going to live by faith, there are going to be some risk you're going to have to take. And as the old saying goes, no risk, uh, no reward. Uh, if, you serve, if you serve Jesus Christ, if you live by faith, you're going to be taking some risk. I mean, you're going to risk your comfort. Uh, you're going to risk your acceptance among your friends and relatives. Uh, you're gonna, you, you might risk some material things from time to time. You might risk your health from time to time. You might even risk your life if you live by faith. You know, I heard Ter Ted Turner years ago say that Christianity is for wimps. You know, he, Ted Turner knew nothing about Christianity, about real Christianity. Christianity is not for wimps. Do you know what? Christianity is for risk takers. Christianity is for daredevils. People who will come out of their comfort zone and, and step out and be willing to take risks for God. And if you're unwilling to take risks for God, let me tell you this right now, you're going to live a very insignificant life. You're going to live an insignificant life life. Uh, the great preacher from England, Henry Jollett, put it like this. He said, it is possible to evade a multitude of sorrows through the cultivation of an insignificant life. Do you hear that? It's, it's possible to evade a multitude of sorrows through the cultivation of an insignificant life. You want to go hide and retreat from the world and never take a risk and just live your life for yourself, well, you could, you could do it, but you're going to live an insignificant life. He goes on to say, if a man's, he says, indeed, if a man's ambition uh, is to avoid the troubles of life, the recipe is simple. Shed your ambitions in every direction. Cut the wings of every soaring purpose and seek a life with the fewest contacts and relations. If you want to get through life with the smallest trouble, you must reduce yourself to the smallest person. Tiny souls can dodge through life. Bigger souls are blocked at every side. 
You know, the people that made it into this hall of faith that we're looking at in chapter 11 of Hebrews, they weren't little souls. They were big souls. Souls that were willing to come out of their comfort zone and take a risk for the Lord. And in today's lesson, we're going to be looking at one of the biggest risk takers of all. We're going to be looking at that great hero of faith, Moses. So if you've got your Bibles again, turn to Hebrews chapter 11 and pick up with me down in verse number 23. By faith, there's that faith there, that treasure. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. And they were not afraid of the king's command. You remember the king's command, right? You remember how Israel was in bondage in Egypt and, and uh, they, they were uh, growing so fast in their population that Pharaoh got afraid that they would outpopulate the Egyptians themselves and be able to overthrow his kingdom. And so he commanded that every newborn male child be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. But Moses' parents, Jochebed and Amram, uh, they didn't throw Moses into the river, not at first. But they hid him for three months. Why did they hide him for three months? Because he was a beautiful child. Now let me ask you mothers here in this room. How many of you had ugly child children that were born? You, none of you would say that, would you? We all think our little babies are beautiful. Now I got to tell you, to be honest, little babies really aren't that pretty. I know I'm going to get myself in trouble here, but man, they come out with their heads all squashed and they're all red and, and, and actually they look terrible. But maybe Moses came out glowing or something, I don't know. But we, seriously, we all think our children are beautiful. We all think that. But by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. There's something more at work than the fact he just was a good-looking child. They knew that he was special. Drop back with me to the book of Acts, chapter 7. And you remember when Stephen is before the, the Sanhedrin, he's given his speech before he's martyred. One of the, he he kind of rehearses the history of Israel. And one of the things he says gives us a clue to what's going on here. In verse number 20, Hebrews, I mean, Acts chapter 7, verse number 20. It says, Acts 7, verse number 20. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. Now, that's interesting, isn't it? That's like a beautiful child. I mean, certainly, Jochebed and Amran saw that Moses was a beautiful child, but they also saw that he was well-pleasing to God. Now, Moses hadn't done any great feats at this point. He was just a baby. How was he well-pleasing to, to God? Well, he had been chosen by God. He had been chosen by God before the foundation of the world to do what? To deliver the, the Israelites out of Egypt. And so he was a special child. That's why he was a beautiful child. Now, I don't know how they knew that. You know, I kind of wonder if maybe he didn't glow a little bit. Some of that Shekinah glory he had on the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe they looked at him and said, wow, he is special. God has a special purpose for him. He must be the deliverer. I don't know, maybe the angel of the Lord came to them like he came to uh, Manoah and Samson's parents and, and told them about Samson delivering the Israelites from the Philistines. Maybe that's the reason. We don't know exactly why 
they knew he was special, but they knew he was special, and they were willing to take a great risk because they knew he was special. And man, they really took a risk because that in that day it was kind of like Nazi Germany. If you were to hide any Jews, what happened to you if you got caught hiding Jews? Your whole family was rounded up and they were killed. Your friends were killed. Your relatives were killed. And so they take this great risk. And not only do they risk their own life, but they risk the life of Miriam. They risk the life of Aaron. Uh, they risk the life of their friends. And they take this risk because they realize that Moses is special, and they were willing to take that risk. Well, they took it for three months, and they knew they couldn't hide him forever. Every night when he would cry, they would have to put their hand over his mouth. They lived in these slave quarters, and they were, they were, very, they were built very close together, and there were spies everywhere, and there were policemen everywhere, and, and slave masters everywhere, and they knew that sooner or later they were going to get caught, and they were going to be in serious trouble, and their whole family was going to be slaughtered. And so they took the risk as long as they could, and after three months, they devised a plan. Well, Miriam worked for Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter wanted a son more than anything else in the world, and she couldn't have a son. And so what they did, they put Moses in a little basket and sent him down the river, and Miriam would have to be there when Pharaoh's daughter saw the, the little basket come and say, look, a child, you can have this child. And she took the child up, and Miriam says, Guess what? I know somebody who had to throw their baby into the Nile River who can nurse this baby for you, my mother. And so they hook uh, Miriam up. I mean, they hook Jochebed up with, with uh, Pharaoh's daughter, and she becomes Moses' nurse. And she became much more than his nurse. She was his mother. And she didn't raise him in the ways of the Egyptians. She raised him in the way of God. And let me tell you what, if parents, listen to me real carefully. If you're willing to take the effort to raise your children in the things of God, the things of God always trump the things of this world. If you're willing to take that effort and make that the most important thing in your children's life, then it's going to become very important to your children. And so Moses, more than anything else, with all the things that he had, he grew up to love the Lord. I mean, look what a great job she did. Go back to Hebrews. And look now at the next few verses there. And it says, By faith Moses, when he became of age, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I mean, you talk about maybe the greatest honor in Egypt was to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I mean, here was Moses who had everything, everything this world has to offer. I mean, he had riches, he had power, he had prestige, and he risked it all for a higher calling, the calling of God. And because he risked it all, he was forced to make a series of choices. He had to choose between the true and living God and the pagan gods of Egypt. He had to choose between... Uh, his secular education that he got in Egypt and the education his mother gave him when he was a little child, when she taught him about the Torah. He had to choose between uh, being rich and being poor, between, being, uh, between comfort and affliction. He had to choose between leading the most powerful people on earth or leading a group of vagabond slaves. 
And what did he choose? By faith, he risked it all. He risked everything the world had to offer. I mean, how many of us are willing to risk everything the world has to offer in order to serve the Lord? Man, you talk about a man of faith. I mean, why was he willing to do that? Why was Moses willing to do that? Well, he tells us in the next verse, verse 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ. You get that? Moses. This is Moses. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked, to the reward. You talk about an absolutely extraordinary statement. I don't know if you caught it or not. But how could he esteem the reproach of Christ when Christ hadn't even been born? How did he know about the reproach of Christ when Christ had not even been born? Well, I'll tell you how he knew. You know who told him? Jacobed. Jacobed told him all about the reproach of Christ. What's, what's the word Christ mean? It means Messiah. She told him all about the coming Messiah. You know Adam and Eve knew about the coming Messiah. She told him about Adam and Eve and how they looked for the coming Messiah, the one that would, would crush Satan's head. They, they, he knew about the Messiah. Abraham had met the Messiah over and over and over again. Abraham has these encounters with the angel of the Lord. So much so that you know what Jesus says in John chapter 8? Abraham rejoiced, Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and he was glad. I mean, Abraham knew Jesus Christ. We saw a couple of weeks ago how Jacob, when he was blessing his sons, Remember what he said, bless these lads with the angel of the Lord who has redeemed me from all evil. I mean, you talk about the gospel, that was the gospel right there. And so all of these things had been passed on to Moses. And then when we get to Exodus chapter 3, Moses has an encounter himself with the angel of the Lord. He encounters the coming Messiah. And he was willing to risk everything. He forsook Egypt. He forsook all the pleasures of sin to know Jesus Christ and to know him intimately. What was his reward? What was Moses' reward? Was it 40 years down in Midian herding sheep? Was that his reward? No, was it 40 years in the wilderness with the Israelites? Was that his reward? No, that wasn't his reward. Was his reward going into the promised land? He didn't get to go in the promised land. What was his reward? The same reward that Abraham had. Remember what the Lord told Abraham? I am your exceedingly great reward. And Moses' great reward was to know the Lord and to know that he was going to live with the Lord forever. That's your reward. And that's my reward. And then in verse number 27, it says, By faith he forsook Egypt. He left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, scholars look at this verse here and they relate it to two different events. One event 
is when Moses killed the Egyptian soldier and he went, fled and went down to Midian. So he forsook Egypt at that point. The other event is when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt during the Exodus. Now, which event is it? We know which event it is because we have some insight into both of those events. In the first event, when Moses killed the Egyptian soldier and Pharaoh said, I'm going to kill you, what did Moses do? He feared the king. He feared the king and ran as fast as he could and as hard as he could, as far as he could go, and he went down into Midian. So it couldn't be that event. But now when he faced the great armies of Pharaoh and all he had was a group of vagabond slaves and he forsook Egypt, did he fear the king then? No, he didn't fear the king. And you know why he didn't fear the king? Because he had seen him who is invisible. He had seen the visible God who is invisible to everybody else. That's what gave him the courage to forsake Egypt and not fear the king. He didn't fear that king one bit because he had had a vision of the visible, invisible Lord. And he was willing to risk it all in order to obey the Lord. You know what? You study the Bible carefully. And there's not a daredevil in the Bible that didn't have a visible vision of the invisible God. Abraham saw the angel of the Lord, as I said earlier, on several occasions. Jacob wrestled with the Lord all night. He had a vision of the invisible Lord. Gideon, you remember that guy Gideon? I mean, that guy Gideon defeated an army 10,000 times larger than his army because he had had a vision of the invisible Lord. Samson's parents had a vision of the invisible Lord, and they raised Samson to fight the Philistines because they had had that vision. And I believe Samson had that vision too. Elijah had that vision. And so when he was up on Mount Carmel fighting those prophets of Baal, man, he didn't hesitate because he had had a vision of the invisible Lord. How about the disciples? How about Paul? They all had had a vision, a, a, a visible vision of the invisible Lord. And so they were willing to risk everything for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, pastor, you know, I've never had a vision of the visible Lord. Are you willing to risk anything? Are you willing to give up anything? Are you willing to come out of your comfort zone in order to serve the Lord? Are you willing to do anything the Lord asks you to do? Go wherever the Lord asks you to go? Hey, you get to that point, I promise you, you'll have a vision of some sort of the invisible Lord. Everybody does who serves the Lord like that. Never met one that didn't. He'll give you a vision. It took Moses 40 years to get his vision, but you'll get your vision too. You might have already had your vision. And what that vision is for is not so you can tell everybody you had a vision of the Lord, but so you'll come out of that comfort zone. So you'll know that all these things are true, that your faith is real, and that you, that you want to step out and you want to take some risk. And then in verse number 28, by faith, and I want you to listen to this one carefully. Especially if you don't know the Lord, I want you to watch this very carefully here, what's said here. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed, he's talking about the, the, about the destroying angel, destroyed the firstborn should touch them. Now, most of us, 
We're like these Jews. We're going to do anything we can to avoid putting ourselves where we, in a position where we have to take risks. We're, we're going to avoid risk at all costs. Well, I've got news for you. There are times when you will have no choice but to take a risk. God will put you in that position. And like the Jews at that first Passover, they had to take a risk. They had no choice but to take a risk. I mean, you remember the story that the death angel was coming to town and he was going to kill every firstborn child and every firstborn animal of both anybody who was in Egypt. Anybody. Jew and Egyptian. Well, wait a minute. The Jews, they were good people. He wouldn't kill the Jews, would he? Oh, yes, he would. The Jews would have died. You know, the Bible's real clear. Listen to me again. If you're not born again, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The wages of sin is death. Sin. One sin. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fall short of the glory of God. So we all deserve death. The Egyptians deserved death, and the Israelites weren't any better. They deserved death too. Hear this real carefully. The Jews weren't the chosen people because they were special. They were special because they were chosen. You aren't the chosen people, you Christians out there, because you're special. You're special to God because you're chosen. We forget that sometimes. And we become judgmental and we look down on those who aren't Christians. We shouldn't be doing that. Because the only reason we're special to God is because God has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. And so because these people were, were, were chosen, God gave them an out. And I actually think he gave it to the Egyptians too. They were listening. He gave them an out. Here was the out. Kill a lamb. Put its blood on the doorpost in the form of a cross. Isn't that interesting? And I will spare your firstborn. Not because you're good. Not because you're special. But because there's blood on the doorpost. Now that sound to me, if I was an Egypt, a, a Jew or an Egyptian, that would sound to me like a risk worth taking. What do you think? You really, did they have any choice? No. They had seen the power of God in those other plagues. They knew he was serious. And they knew they had no choice but to put that blood on that doorpost and do as God had instructed them. And they did. And their children were spared. But why were they spared? Because the Jews were good people? No, because a sacrifice had been made. Now, let me tell you a little bit about the risk you take, risk I take. Do you realize we, if we are alive, we all risk death? Did you know that? Pretty wise statement, right? We all risk death. Every day you risk death. Every day I risk death. If you want to be alive, 
you risk death. And, and, and I'll tell you a little bit about the odds. The odds are kind of stacked against you on this. A hundred percent of the people who live are going to die. But listen, it's so simple. The death angel's coming to every single one of us. And you're risking, sitting here right now, you're risking death right now. You could die today. Probably not. But you're risking it. And you're risking it at some point. It's going gonna, it's gonna to get you. But if by faith you'll accept that Passover lamb and that blood of Jesus Christ and you'll put that on the doorpost of your soul, the one slaughtered for your sins before the foundation of the world, if you'll appropriate that blood to your life, just that simple, you will live forever. You'll be born again. People, I hear people tell me all the time, I mean, Pastor, I don't buy into your belief that there's only one way to heaven, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. I don't buy that. I'm not ready to, so I'm not ready to give my life to him. Well, let me tell you what you're risking. You're not only risking death. You're risking eternal life in hell. That's going to be your reward if you reject Jesus Christ. I mean, you're risking, you're betting against the truth of this word. This is God's word, and you're betting against that. And the risk is eternal life in hell. And the same people that tell you, I, I'll take that risk, will tell you that, 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 that Jesus never would send anybody to hell. Oh, is that so? Let me read you his own words from Matthew chapter 12. Unless you repent and turn to me, you will perish forever in hell. It, it goes on to say in verse number five, fear him who has the power after you die to cast you into hell, eternal hell. That's the meek and lowly Jesus speaking. There is a hell. And if you don't appropriate that blood to your life, that's where you're going. And you can believe anything you want, and you can listen to the world all you want, but you're going to be, you're heading for hell. I told, somebody, told the crowd Wednesday night, based upon my prognosis, I'm going to be a little bolder in some of the things I say, so, so, so bear with me. I'll be sure they're said before I leave here when I do. Look at verse number 29. He says, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. Man, you talk about faith. You talk about faith. They had to have faith to do that. I mean, all of a sudden Moses pulls out his staff and it says, You know, behold the power of the Lord and the seas part and these great walls of water part the Red Sea. And he says, okay, guys, follow me on in here. <laughs> Say, what? And there's only one reason they went in there. I can tell you right now. They went in there because Pharaoh's army was coming on their tail. I mean, just imagine the situation. I take you down to the Holly Beach, and I, and I say, Lord, part. I don't think he'd do it, but let's say he did it. <laughs> say, Lord, part the gulf all the way to Florida. And he parted it, and this great wall of water comes up. 
I say, okay, John, you guys, y'all come on, follow me. <laughs> say, what? None of you would follow me through that mess by faith. Except maybe ISIS was on our tails and we're going to take our heads off and then y'all be running along with me as fast as you could. And sure enough, the waters did come down on the Egyptians. But hey, they were willing to take that risk. No real risk, no risk, no reward. They took the risk and what was their reward? They made it out of Egypt and they made it out of bondage. Man, I don't think they ever appreciated that like they should have. But what a great reward. You know, the Christian life is all about taking risk. I'm telling you, it's all about taking risk. I mean, you're either going to be forced to take risk, or really both. You're, there's going to be risk you choose to take, and there's going to be risks you're forced to take in this life. But look at these characters, these characters of faith. I mean, Amram and Jochebed, they took great risk in hiding Moses for three months. They risked their life and the life of their other children. What was their reward? Hey, they nurtured a king. They nurtured maybe one of the, uh, one of the greatest men who ever walked this earth. They brought him in, into, into this world and saved him, and she, she nurtured him, and, and he became such a great hero of faith. I mean, what about Moses? I mean, man, was he, wasn't he a guy that took great risk? I mean, just think about it, giving up all the pleasures of Egypt, uh, refusing to be called Pharaoh's grandson, uh, uh, leading the exodus. What were his rewards? I mean, one of his rewards was he got to lead a bunch of murmuring, complaining Israeli slaves to the edge of the promised land, but he didn't even get to go in. But even so, his reward was great because he knew the Lord. And when he died, he knew where he was going. He went to be with the Lord. You know, he actually did make it into the promised land, didn't he? You remember that on the Mount of Transfiguration for there for a few moments? He appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration with Elijah and Jesus. And he set his foot on that promised land, on that desert soil, and he had baited in. He wasn't there long, and he was translated back to heaven. And I'm sure as soon as he got back to heaven, he said, oh, why are you bringing me up here when I can be down in that desert with all those people that want to kill me? Like Jesus, why, why, why would I want to be up here? You know, Moses never regretted taking the risk he took. Throughout eternity, he's praised God that he took the risk he took. You know, I think of somebody else on that Mount of Transfiguration that was a risk taker. Greatest risk taker ever. The Lord Jesus. Who risked all of glory. He left his kingdom in glory, his power in glory. He emptied himself of his glory. He took that risk. He took the risk to become a little baby born in Bethlehem. 
in a manger. He took that risk so he could grow up and he could die for our sins. No risk, no risk, no reward. What was his reward for doing all of that? Man, he took the chance. He took the chance that some of us would choose to be his children. He took that risk. And if none of us had chosen, he still would have taken that risk. He took that risk so that you and I could become sons and daughters of God. He took that risk because, hey, we're his reward. He loves us enough to risk everything. You ever question the love of the Lord? You just stop and think about it a minute. He loves you enough to have risked everything. Everything. What about you? Are you willing to take some risk in the service of the king? No risk. No reward. The greater the risk, the greater the reward. You know, missionaries understand that principle. They go off on a foreign mission field, pay very little, rejected by most, see very little fruit in their ministry. They risk everything, hoping to see one pagan soul, one to Jesus Christ out on that mission field. I think of people in this church who have risked comfort and maybe some material wealth in order to raise some children that aren't their own children. Because, hey, there's reward in that. There's great reward in that. To give those children a chance at hearing the gospel and maybe turning their lives around. I think of people in this room who have who have given up on certain careers. I mean, they've had the academic credentials maybe to pursue a more lucrative career. And they've chosen to be teachers or policemen or medical workers or whatever in order that they might have some type of impact on this lost and dying world, some eternal impact. And they take that risk. And no risk, no risk, no reward. You know, we've been talking about faith, and we're talking about real faith. And if you look back at the definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. You know, if you're a born-again believer, you have real faith. Your faith has substance. What's the substance of my faith? The substance of my faith, where do I get the substance of my faith? Well, we know one way we get the substance of our faith. We're told in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So if you're in the word of God and you're in the word of God consistently, your faith is going to have substance. But faith is also comes to you. Substance means it's metaphysically a real thing that lives in you. And if you have real faith, 
It also comes from the Holy Spirit living in you. And how many of you have, if you're born again, how many of us have the Holy Spirit living in all of us? So that substance is there. Paul prayed to, in Romans 15, 13, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace through faith. May he fill you through faith. You believe in him and he gives your faith substance. Faith is a gift of God, not a works lest anyone should boast. He goes on to say that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we have faith. And when we have real faith, we know we have real faith. You know, at some point in your life, your faith's going to be tested. You're going to find out whether it's real or whether it's not real. I was talking to the doctor the day they released me from the hospital. And he said, do you understand how serious this thing is you have? And I said, yeah, I understand it. It, it could kill me. He said, yeah, it can kill you. He said, what I want you to do is wear a vest with a defibrillator on it. And when your heart stops, it'll kick your heart back going again. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm not going to do that. He said, what if you're a church and you... Your heart quits ticking there at church. I said, man, the people would storm up there. They would fight over each other to try to give me mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation. <laughs> he said, you sure of that? I said, no. <laughs> if I die in this pulpit, I will kill you if you revive me. I do not want to be revived. <laughs> Absent from the body is where? Present with the Lord. That's where I'm going to be. And that's what I told. I, I looked that doctor in the eye. I never knew how I'd handle something like that. But I looked that doctor in the eye and I said, doctor, that doesn't scare me one bit. That prognosis does not scare me one bit because the Lord is either going to heal me or he's going to take me home when he's ready. And if it's tomorrow, I'm ready to go. If it's 30 years from now, I'm ready to go then. You know, that is not some because I'm a pastor. That is not because I'm some special person. And I'm not saying that at all. That's the faith you have too. That's the faith that the Holy Spirit gives you. Chap understood it the other day when he was on the way to the hospital. He was telling me about the peace he had and the joy he had with his hands all burned up. You, don't, you go through those trials and you realize how real your faith is and how precious your faith is. And what a great treasure it is. And you know what that inspires me to do? It inspires me to, not to retreat, but to take more risk for the Lord and for his kingdom. Man, that's real faith. If you don't have real faith, it comes from that blood on the doorpost from Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And I promise you say, well, that's just, you just, you know, you're just talking. No, I'm not just talking. Those of us who have real faith, we know we have real faith. We know it's special. 
we know it's our treasure. And we know the Lord, and we know we're going to live with the Lord forever. There's no doubt. What a great God we serve. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your goodness. We just thank you for just the peace and joy you give us through any situation we face in life because of the treasure you've given us in our faith. And as Bridget prayed earlier, Lord, it's not about how much faith we have. It's about you, about the object of our faith. Lord, that kind of faith can move mountains we, if we take the risk. Lord, I just ask today that if there's anyone here that's sitting on the sidelines and just, just living an insignificant life, that you encourage them to step out and take some risk for your kingdom. Just, just ask you what you would have them to do. Father, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I ask today be the day of their salvation. That It's a simple thing. Lord, they just receive that gift, your blood off that cross. That they, and, and none of us understand that, but we know it's real when we receive it, Lord. And I, that's all they've got to do to test it. Just receive that blood, receive that gift, and they'll be born again too. So just touch their souls today, Lord, and we again, we just thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.